and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's Echoes of Calvary broadcast. Glad you could join us. Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 14 is the text for today's message. And today, Pastor Rob will share details of Paul's imprisonment and how he encouraged Christians despite his own predicament. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, please. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14 are our verses for this morning. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you perhaps, or tell you if you don't know, that the Apostle Paul was in prison when he wrote the book of Colossians. He wrote to a church in ancient Colossae that was having some problems as a young church, but Paul himself was in confinement. He was in jail. And it wasn't like the county jail. He was in a dark, dingy, damp jail. He was uh, not having the niceties of life. He often went without food and water, maybe a blanket. So it wasn't an easy time in his life. But nonetheless, he was focused on Jesus Christ, his sufficiencies for even those times of difficulty in his life, Paul's life. And when he focused enough on Christ, he could even think about the believers in a place called Colossae, that he could write this book to them, to encourage them. And all these centuries later, the same book encourages us. So I want to read verses 9 to 14, the first chapter of Colossians with you first, and then we'll look at them more closely. Hear the word of God. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us, from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's a good exercise to ask oneself, what is the gospel? Once in my first pastorate, a man that I did not know at all came into my study. He walked into my study, having walked to the church building. He was a tall man. He was dressed a little roughly, like he might have been living on the street. And he asked me if I could help him to get a train ticket from our little town of St. Mary's, Ontario, to the larger city of London, Ontario. I didn't have cash on me, and I believed that his need was legitimate. So I decided to drive him and me to my bank. And on the way to the bank, the conversation went something like this. So you're a preacher. Yes, I am. Do you preach the gospel? Yes, I do. Do you want to know what I think the gospel is? I said, I most certainly would like to know what you think the gospel is. The gospel is the esoteric, philosophical, subterranean, uh, and then he went on with $10 words this long about what he thought the gospel was. He didn't come up for air for about 60 seconds. After he spoke, I had no idea what he thought the gospel was because the terms he was using were so confusing and contradictory and that some of them I didn't even understand what they were. So he was going to stop there and just let me take him to the bank. But as a good evangelist, I didn't stop there. I said, do you want to know what I think the gospel is? He goes, sure. 
The gospel is Christ died for sins and arose. He goes, that's it? I said, that's enough. Christ died for sins and arose. That's how the scripture defines the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 5. Listen. But I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which was preached to you, which you also received, in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here's the gospel defined by the New Testament. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here it comes. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and he was buried And he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, and then to the twelve. So watch it. God defines the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 5, this way. Christ died for sins. It says, according to the scriptures, it was predicted in the Old Testament he would die for sins. And that he was buried. Proof that he actually died was that they buried him. You don't bury someone who's still living. So the first part of the gospel is Christ died for sins. The Old Testament scriptures predicted that he would and that he was buried to prove that he actually died. The second half of the gospel, that he arose from the dead. It says that he was raised on the third day, again, according to the scriptures. The Old Testament messianic prophecies predicted that Jesus Christ would bodily rise from the dead. And what was the proof that he bodily rose from the dead? He appeared. To Cephas and the verses after verse 5 talk about all the other groups of people he appeared to alive after being decisively, conclusively, positively, physically dead. So as I got to the bank and went to the ATM and got out money to pay for my friend's train ticket to London, I said, never forget it, friend. The gospel is simply Christ died for your sins and arose from the dead. Believe that. And you go to a place much better than London, Ontario. You go to heaven. The gospel. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greeks. God says that this message that Christ died for sins and arose is dynamite power. Dunamis is the Greek for power here. It is the dynamite power of God to wake the spiritually dead and to give them spiritual life. It is powerful. And if you're here this morning in right relationship with God through Christ, it's because the power of the gospel has given you what you couldn't gain for yourself. Forgiveness, adoption, newness of life, indwelling power to live the Christian life in the Spirit of God. Now, I want you to look to see back to Colossians 1. I want you to look with me at verse 9. It begins with these words, for this reason. Now, if you are a Bible student, as I trust you are, you need to ask, for what reason? And the preceding context will tell you the reason. The verse says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not to cease to pray for you, etc. So we go back to verse 7 to see what the reason is to begin with. Just as you learned of it from Epaphras. Now the it refers to the for this reason later in verse 9. What does the it refer to? We have to look back to verse 6 to see. 
which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it, here it is, and understood the grace of God in truth. The grace of God in truth spurred the Apostle Paul from a dank, damp, dirty prison to pray for Colossian Christians. Now, can we get more specific than verse 6? Which has also come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you since also you, the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in the truth. Can we know more about what the grace of God in the truth is? Look at verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. So when you work your way back as a good detective of God's word, from verse 9, for this reason, you work your way back to the gospel. The gospel was the reason that the Apostle Paul prayed for the Christians in Colossae. The gospel is huge. And because the gospel positively changed those believers in Colossae, they became faithful brethren to Paul, brethren who bore spiritual fruit. And because he was hearing of their bearing of spiritual fruit, it spurred him on to pray more consistently for them to do so. They had positive changes, these uh, Christians in Colossae had, Changes like having heard the knowledge of God's will. The latter part of verse 9 says that. Positive change too. They were living a lifestyle which was worthy of the Savior. The first part of verse 10 says that. And the third positive change the gospel was making in them was they were bearing spiritual fruit. So how's that working for us? How's it working for you and me? Do we have an increasing knowledge of God's will as found in his word? Are we all living a lifestyle which is worthy and in line with the worthy Savior? Are we allowing the Spirit of God to bear fruit on the branches of our lives? That's the normal Christian life. What might that look like? It would, might look like turning the other cheek. It might look like not living together before you're married. It might look like not cheating on your income taxes. It might look countercultural. Christian brother or sister, you are a Christian because you've heard and responded to the gospel. But has the gospel, the dynamite of God, exploded in your new life? Is it why you get out of bed in the morning? Is it what your mind is thinking about when you're having every single conversation? Is it the burden you have to share with your next-door neighbor? Is it why you come to this church? Has the gospel exploded in your life? When it does, we're different. We're odd to the people. The gospel has not exploded in their lives. Now, last time in Colossians, we learned that spiritual fruit is biblically defined as five things. An advancing Christian character, which we pointed out, is the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. Spiritual fruit is also good works, which Ephesians 2 tells us that God has prepared beforehand for each of us to do before we were even conceived. 
spiritual fruit is also the people we have a part in leading to salvation in Christ. Spiritual fruit, fourth, is praising lips through song and through conversation, praising lips to God. And fifth, spiritual fruit is financial gifts, which we voluntarily choose to give to Christ's work. And so now we come to the verses before us, verses 9 to 14, which are really like a Niagara Falls prayer of Paul for the faithful brethren in Colossae. It's a 218-word sentence in the Greek. My English teacher would have called that a run-on sentence. But he's so enthused, he's so moved, he's so excited that he prays a 218-word prayer in one sentence for the Christians at Colossae. Again, let's see the prayer. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of the will of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the gospel. And now, today's personal God story. I'm very pleased to be in the studio today with Danielle Bradshaw. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Pastor Rob. Uh, Danielle, you are the mother of four, and uh, I understand that your fourth pregnancy was very difficult. What troubles did you have? Well, on September 9th, 2006, I took ill suddenly and unexpectedly. I was at that time in Harrisonburg, Virginia. I experienced severe pain in my upper right side, where my liver is. I was rushed to the hospital and had to have an emergency C-section. During the C-section, the doctors saw that there was bleeding from my liver. And um, to make a long story short, because of time, I was diagnosed with HELP syndrome. That is spelled H-E-L-L-P and stands for hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, low platelets. I also suffered liver, kidney, and lung failure, along with a host of many other complications, and a prolonged stay of five months in ICU. As a result of my prolonged hospitalization, I developed muscle atrophy of my arms and legs. I have since regained full use of my arms, but my legs still have some weakness. My, the Lord uh, brought you through so much. I, I know that I've heard from others that you're really a walking miracle of God's healing and help. Danielle, how did you see your Lord's hand in and through those medical complications? Well, I saw the Lord's hand throughout my entire ordeal. From providing an opening in the IC ward at the hospital, where I was to be airlifted, because they had called two times. Both times they said they were full. And the third time they called and said that there was an opening. Mm. Putting the right surgical team of doctors and nurses in place, providing financially when my medical insurance was exhausted, and healing me from the many medical issues that I experienced. 
And I continue to see God's hand at work in my life every day. Beautiful. Uh, I've heard it said that uh, trials, extreme trials in life like you have been through, uh, will either make us bitter or better. And it's so lovely to see that you have deepened in your trust in the Lord and, and your desire to honor Him with your life. That's marvelous. Would you say, Danielle, that that particular time in your life strengthened your faith in God? Yes, it most certainly did strengthen my faith, as well as my family's faith. We had a saying that we were riding on the wings of a prayer, because many times that was all that we could do. Pray and wait for God to work, and answer our prayers, and the prayers of those from here in the Bahamas, and literally from around the world. That is so beautiful. And the Lord heard those prayers, and in accordance with His will and power, He, he healed you, and, and it's just such a pleasure to see you doing so well and, and recovering. Danielle, what would you want to say to the listeners this morning, especially to the listener who is out there sick, him or herself sick, and frankly, tired of being sick? What would you share with that listener? I would say to them, don't give up and keep praying. Although there was a time during my illness that I wanted to give up and die because it was so painful and difficult, I didn't. And with the encouragement of family and friends and my determination to get better, and of course, God's miraculous healing power, I am here today with gratitude to Almighty God for all that He has done in my life. Although I am not 100%, I have come a very long way, and I will continue to trust God. Yes, indeed. Thank you for that encouragement. And, and, and listener, if you are listening this morning and and they don't seem to have a medical answer for your problem, or you're wondering how you'll find funds to pay for the treatments that may be recommended, may you just be encouraged today that the same Lord that has helped Danielle is there to help you in whatever way that He sees best, and that you can rest in Him and you can trust Him, and, and He's a trustworthy Lord. He's the true and the living God. Danielle, do you have some favorite Bible verses, a Bible verse or two that you would like to share? Uh, yes, I do. And um, I'd also like to say, um, first of all, these are the words of an African pastor, Andrew Murray. Reasons for worshiping God in times of trouble. We are here by God's appointment, in His keeping, under His training, and for His time. My favorite Bible verse is Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Another one is Psalms forty six ten. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Danielle, that is such a beautiful um, pair of verses that you've shared and, and they're so dear to my heart as well. And as you were sharing your testimony, and, and as I was thinking of how the Lord has really raised you up from death's doorstep to be able to be giving this message uh, for God's glory here on the radio, I was thinking of the promise of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion 
and the God of all comfort, who comforts us all in our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. That's really what's happened in your life, isn't it? That the comfort that God has had for you in your distress has been more than enough comfort. It's comforted you and your family, but it's also spilled over to be enough comfort to be comfort to those who are listening this morning who are struggling with health issues. And uh, it goes on to say, For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you shall share in our comfort. And so I just praise the Lord with you, Danielle, that you've been able to share the Lord's comfort that is your experience with others who are listening today so in need of God's comfort. I would just love to pray for you and with you. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for Danielle and for the wonderful, true story she is of your mercy, of your power, of your faithfulness, of your healing hand. And Laura, we just commend her further to the healing grace you have for her going forward. Thank you from where you have brought her to where she is today. And may this story, this testimony, be used of you in many lives other than Danielle's today. Those who are listening in pain, in distress, uh, discouraged perhaps, tired of being sick. Lord, may they draw nigh to you knowing that you will draw nigh to them. And Lord, may they experience the comfort that is theirs from you so that they will have comfort enough to give comfort to others down the road. Thank you for this special time in reviewing your goodness and faithfulness and promises to your word that you've kept. And we ask your continued rich blessing upon Danielle and her four children, upon her involvements at the Calvary Bible Church and beyond. And we pray these things in Jesus, our healer's name. Amen. And now, Help for the Hurting, with the director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. Good morning. It's a privilege for me to have in the studio with me this morning, Deborah Arnett. She worked with the Christian Counseling Center for some five years and was very involved with uh, dealing with children and parents, but especially children. And we are blessed to have her today. And she will be sharing a little about parent-children relationship. And one of the questions, Deborah, I would like to ask you this morning is, what is one of the greatest challenges impacting the quality of parent-child relationship in our country today? Um, I think one of the things that has become very apparent in our culture um, is the loss of honor or the losing or dying of honor. To clarify what I'm talking about more specifically is that there appears to be uh, absence or an atrophying of honor between parents and their children. 
you would often find within Christian communities or within a church community that teachers, parents will quote Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, that children should obey their parents and that this is the right thing to do and that they should honor their father and their mother so that they will have a long life. But there are a number of factors that I think inform whether or not a child responds to that suggestion or to that command that the parent or the teacher may be asserting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I observed through my interactions with adolescents that often some of the factors that atrophy honor include hypocrisy that they observe in their parents' lives. So that would be a conflict between the parents' words and their actions. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that attitude, you know, do as I say, not as I do. And a lot of our adolescents perceive that to be deceitful. Um, they find it difficult to honor their parents because they find that they're being asked to live by a standard that the parent, him or herself, are not prepared to live by. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is very frustrating to the adolescent. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a lack of integrity. So even if the parent would admit, I don't abide by these things, I don't think there's a need to abide by certain rules and regulations within the culture, it's difficult for a child to honor a parent who's violating rules and regulations that the child may feel is viable, important, or that a child's teacher or grandmother may be encouraging, but the parent is not necessarily supporting. And then within our culture, there are a number of cultural attitudes, whether it be by the media, whether it be by personalities within the culture, that mock parenting and that mock parental instruction. So you'll find that a lot of adolescents are struggling with, should they engage this parent's advice, instruction, or should they go with the cultural attitudes. Mm -hmm. And so if their friends are like, oh, your mom's just freaking out, don't worry about her, do your thing, then it's very difficult for that adolescent to engage in healthy choices that would promote honoring the parent and living a life of honor. What I'm hearing you say is, number one, the child wants to make sure that the parent is not living a double standard, whereas she tells you what to do but they themselves are not doing doing what they are asking you to do. Right. That's one of the many factors that could inform a child's openness to honor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think another factor would be the parent's absent. Okay. absence. And that can be physical absence, but that can also be emotional absence. Right. So you're living with your parents. They do have a standard for you. It appears as if they abide by this standard, but they're not necessarily emotionally invested. Mm-hmm. So it makes it a little bit more difficult for you to buy into that just because you're kind of feeling like they're just coming into your space, dictating, and then vacating the space. Mm -hmm. Uh, You don't feel as if they're pursuing a relationship with you. They're fostering intimacy with you. They're interested in knowing you. A lot of parents will describe their efforts to give their children things, Mm -hmm. but they're not describing the effort to give their child themselves. And that is a struggle for a lot of adolescents. Well, you've given me this stuff. I want this stuff, but I still don't have you. And then I often find with parents, there's this attempt to foster honor through acts of fear and power and force. So they lord over their children. And that approach is not often efficacious Mm -hmm. in promoting a healthy, honoring disposition or attitude in your child Mm -hmm. because you find that this style can be intimidating for a season, but it can also be off-putting and it can also evoke anger and rage. And some children reach a point in their journey where they're not prepared to honor their parents anymore and they don't care if they die in the act of fighting a specific cause or position or physically um, engaging in an altercation with that parent. Okay. And then finally, um, I would suggest another factor that is atrophying honor would be 
the words that the parent is speaking over their children. They're not speaking life. They're cursing their children. They may not be using expletives, but they are saying a lot of death, death. Yes. Um, articulating a lot of death. You will become nothing. Right. You are nothing. Right. You're just like your father. Right, right. And he's nothing. Okay. Thank you very much. We will continue from here next time. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.